Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, This podcast, which is done over the phone, will be talking about early release missionaries, and I'm with the Wolfenbarger family. I'll introduce them. We have um, Corey Wolfenbarger, who's the dad. Um, He has six kids. He lives in Salt Lake. He's a real estate developer, and Corey, um, 27 years ago, approximately served a mission in St. Petersburg, Russia, then his emotional health came to a point where he needed to come home. He was home for three weeks and then finished his mission in Seattle. Um, Corey has six children, and on the phone are his two oldest sons, um, Holden, um, Olympus High graduate at Kernover, current University of Utah student, 21, served was serving in Nicaragua, had been in the country about eight months. When guns broke out, civil unrest, and and um, Holden was forced to leave Nicaragua and finish his mission in Long Beach. And then we have Elder Wolfenbarger on the phone. He's at home. I'm calling him Elder Wolfenbarger because he's still a set-apart missionary. He um, was in Vietnam and um, served, has been there for about eight months and has just come home. He came home six days before recording this podcast. And he is like thousands of LDS missionaries around the world suddenly home, um, trying to figure out exactly what happened. And so this is a podcast with all three of these men bringing their unique perspectives to what's happened. And, and hopefully our hope is that if you're an early release missionary for any reason, or a parent or a local leader, that the, the principles that these missionaries are able to share will be helpful. We said a prayer before we started, and I'm grateful for Corey reaching out. Um, we live in the same area and, and being willing to do this podcast. They live close enough by. We could do this in person, but we just felt with coronavirus, we're going to try to do as many of these over the phone. So I hope that still works for you, our listeners, that our voice quality and it doesn't detract anything. Um, any bio I miscommunicated? Corey, is that about, is that correct or did I miss something? No, I think you uh, you got it all right. So let's start with the youngest Wolfenbarger, Elder Wolfenbarger. First name is Mac. Just... Um, Tell us about your mission call. I know you've come out of Olympus High School. You're a football player. You beat up on our local high school team, so we won't we won't try to remember that. But you know, your great high school season, your great high school year ended, and I assume you got your call before the year ended. Tell us about Vietnam. Was that did anybody put a pin in the map for Vietnam? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I I got my mission call. I think March 21st of 2019. So it's actually pretty interesting. The day I found out I was leaving Vietnam was exactly a year wow. after the day of my call. So that was pretty crazy. But no, I was really shocked. I actually opened the call before, on my own before I opened it with my family and friends because just to see, and I was pretty shocked. It definitely wasn't something that I had thought of before. And tell us about Vietnam. How many missionaries are there and how many cities are they in and how is the work going in Vietnam? Yeah, so the Vietnam Hanoi mission was opened in 2016. Uh, Before that, it was a part of the Cambodia and Phnom Penh mission. Um, And right now, there are about 50 missionaries in Vietnam. About probably 60% of us were Americans and the other 40% were 
uh, Native Vietnamese elders and sisters. And so it's really, the church in Vietnam is pretty small right now. Um, there has, there's not a ton of, a ton of like structure yet, but there's a lot of growth. And so right now all the missionaries are in one of the two major cities in Vietnam, either Hanoi or Ho Chi Minh City. And the idea is to build, build centers of strength in those two cities and as soon as we can to build up stakes in each of those two cities. And did President Nelson come to your mission while you were there? I know he was in that area at some point. Yeah, so it was actually really, it was really cool. He came to both of the major cities in Vietnam. Um, and so I heard him, I was trained, I did my training in Hanoi in the north, and that's when he came. So I got to see him speak in, in the north. And then the next day, he traveled down to Ho Chi Minh City in the south of Vietnam and spoke again in the south. That's what's a, that's really cool. Yeah. And these aren't big arenas with 40,000 people. I love that he went to where the church is in its infancy, if that's the right word, and and to have our prophet there. Um, and you just know that a subsequent prophet's going to come back to Vietnam, and there's going to be multiple stakes there. Tell us about the Vietnamese people and just your feelings about them. Yeah, the Vietnamese people, it's really interesting because there's a lot of, there's some Catholic influence in Vietnam because of the control that the French had in Vietnam a while ago. But a lot of them, a lot of people, a lot of Vietnamese people are Buddhist or just follow these traditional Vietnamese beliefs. And so a lot of the people that we met maybe knew the name of Jesus Christ, but really knew nothing about him. So that was a really unique opportunity to do our best to teach about who Jesus Christ was and who he is. Um, they're really, they're like, they're really kind people. They're always willing to talk to you. And it was, it was pretty funny when I came home, we got to the LAX airport and this was part of this was probably just because it was three in the morning and airports are just kind of notorious for this. But I was just like pretty shocked about the way we were treated at the airport because we were just treated really well in Vietnam. And I just felt really loved and at home there. Tell our listeners just um, how it went down that you um, learned you were coming home. Yeah, so obviously we'd, we'd heard like rumors because of what happened in Hong Kong and South Korea. And the missions around us, like the Cambodia mission, the Thailand mission, had been on lockdown for a few weeks at this point. But our mission president, he's, he's a really great guy, and he worked really hard to be able to keep us outside and keep us being able to proselyte and so we were feeling pretty optimistic actually that we would be able to stay and continue the work but there was uh we had a transfer and i picked up my companion he'd flown down from hanoi and out to meet me in ho chi minh city and we slept at our apartment that first night the next day we we had this big planning session about what we wanted to get out of our companionship and how we thought we could help our area and the branch and we made all these goals and that was a Thursday. The very next day on that Friday, our mission president called and he told us about this travel order that the U.S. recently put out, basically calling all U.S. citizens to come home unless they were willing to stay where they were indefinitely. And so that just flipped everything. We had this district council trying to make plans for how we could help um, train branch leaders and priesthood holders to administer the sacrament in their homes and just talking about any ideas we had to prepare Vietnam for all these American missionaries to leave 
And at that point, we still didn't know when it would happen. Um, same thing for Saturday. We just spent a lot of time Saturday trying to plan, even though we didn't know exactly what would happen. And then Sunday morning, we uh, got a text from our mission president saying, hey, before we get started with our, our work for today, we just want to have a mission-wide call. And it was at that point that we kind of knew. We were pretty sure what he was going to say. And so we got on the call, and he told us that within the next few days, because of uh, further travel restrictions, that uh, all the American elders and sisters would be sent home. And our job for Sunday was just to keep preparing these branches for all of us to leave. And then, so we worked a lot on that on Sunday. We worked, we called a bunch of uh, these priesthood holders. We worked with the branch president to try to uh, help teach how to administer the sacrament in the home. That was our big focus. And then we got another call from our mission president saying, anyone who wasn't doing something really essential, basically in a lesson, needed to go home immediately and pack their bags because we'd be leaving um, sometime Monday. And so we all went home, we packed our bags, we figured out all the logistics for how everyone would get out. And then within the next about, probably about 40, 36 to 48 hours, all of the Americans were gone and home. Wow. I've actually got some tears in my eyes. I don't, you know, I'm thinking of missionaries leaving areas of the world where there's a stake and a ward and an infrastructure that's in place that Americans would be missed. But when you just talked, Elder Wolf and Barger, what you're doing, these kind of fragile branches that are just starting and the role of, and not necessarily Americans, but just um, people with more church experience, and that just being, you know, leaving in a short period of time, that's jarring. Yeah. One of the really hard parts, too, was there are 10 branches in Vietnam, and each of these branches has one district of missionaries. So usually uh, two companionships of elders and one companionship of sisters. But because there aren't, because all the Americans were leaving and only the native Vietnamese elders and sisters would be able to stay, um, about a, while we were preparing to leave, we found out that each of the branches would have maybe one companionship and some of the branches would be split between one companionship. So we were just, I don't know, it was, we were worried for, and still are, for the ability of just one companionship to do all, to do the work and the coordination that uh, an entire district has been doing up until that point. Tell our listeners how you're feeling. Tell us about your heart right now. Yeah, good question. Um, I think the hardest part for me and the most prevalent feeling I've had these last six days it's just been like a lot of uncertainty. And I think that's really common for a lot of people, not just missionaries right now. But I just have, I felt like if I knew exactly what was going to happen, I'd be able to prepare and I'd be able to really commit to what I was going to do. But right now, the, the official stance is that after this 14-day quarantine, all missionaries who have been um, evacuated from these foreign countries will be reassigned to a stateside mission. But we just don't know exactly what's going to happen. And for me, it's been really hard just to not know exactly what the next month of my life will look like. It's been, it's been just really, it's been really hard not to know what to plan for. What would you say after six days to somebody that's on day one? One thing our mission president has been really good about is 
staying in touch with us and encouraging us to follow this schedule that we've we've created with him. And we've had these nightly devotionals. We're supposed to be having companionship study every day with this companion that we still have assigned. Um, we have different projects that we're working on, and we're just and we're still trying to um, help help support the church in Vietnam through video calls and through messenger and these things. And I think, I think that helps a lot. I think the times I've felt best is when I feel like I have a purpose, but kind of the other side of that is it's just, for me, at least it's been kind of hard to stay invested in that. I'm at home. I haven't been home like this since before I was a missionary. And it's just really strange to see my family all around um, my friends who are coming home from missions, thinking about them and just, and being, I mean, thousands of hours, I mean, thousands of miles away and a 13 hour time difference away from my mission. It's just been hard to feel like I'm, I'm still part of it and still feel invested. And so, I don't know, sometimes this last week, I've just felt kind of lost, not really sure what I should be doing, what I need to do. And even when I do feel like I know what I should be doing, what I need to do, sometimes I've found it hard to find the motivation to actually do that. Yeah, that's really honest. And you're a motivated man and have got a history of being motivated. But I just recognize the the unique situation you're in. And I think we you need to extend grace to yourself and all of us need to extend grace to everybody as they're sort of settling into the new reality of, of everything. Um, let's. I want to go to Holden and then Corey and just have you each share your story also, and then maybe we'll come back and ask questions. So, Holden, you're in Nicaragua. Talk. Tell us about Nicaragua. Yeah, uh, the Nicaraguan mission had been around uh, for a little bit longer than um, than the Vietnam Hanoi mission, um, but still fairly new, and and it uh, it split into. It was at one point just one mission for the whole country of Nicaragua. And then uh, I believe in the 2000s, it split into a North Mission and a South Mission. Uh, so I was assigned to the South Mission. Um, and I loved my time in Nicaragua. I, I was thrown into it. And um, I didn't, didn't have an English-speaking companion for the first uh, six, probably six or seven months of my mission. And um but but I was I really enjoyed uh, my time there, and um, even though it was um, a far cry from what I was used to in the United States, um, culturally, um, socially, economically, um, I I really grew to love it, and um, and so um, I guess when the what what ended up happening is there was um, some political unrest and. Um, demonstrations and um, it was it was interesting and it was almost a little bit like uh, this current um, pandemic of COVID-19 that we're facing where um, I saw the first kind of hints of it on TV uh, and it was it was worrisome but I I didn't think it was really going to affect me um, and then you know as time went on in two or three weeks all of a sudden we were uh, we were shut in our houses Wow. Um, yeah, and so we we did. Um, at one point, we had a three day um, mandatory lockdown while everybody was um, 
while some of the you know some of the protests really reached ahead and they were negotiating between the the kind of protesters and the government and uh, and then it kind of I thought it kind of got resolved. We got to go back out and um, we got I'm not totally sure, but I, I seem to remember about a week um, of of work again, and it was really great. And we were, we were able to you know kind of go back to normal and teach people and. Um, then I remember the Saturday night we were actually um, coming home from a baptismal service, and um, we were we were heading to dinner. We would always eat dinner the very last thing in Nicaragua, uh, and so I got a call, and um, we had had some some kind of plans in place. Uh, what I thought was going to happen is that we were all going to uh, be locked down together. Um, so we had someone in the ward that was willing to let you know, a, a group of 10 or so missionaries uh, stay with him um, for, uh, you know, a few days to a few weeks. And I thought that would be our next step. Um, but I got the call um, and my uh, zone leader told me that um, we, were, we, were, we were to go home immediately and pack a bag. And that within, I mean, within 45 minutes, we were heading to the airport. So it came very quickly. Wow. And so um, it was a little bit different circumstances from um, both um, my brother and my and my dad's uh, situation. I think we all had uh, different reasons for um, for leaving our mission, um, but um, it was a it was definitely a very confusing time, and I. I uh, empathize with Mac of not knowing, you know, what's going on. Um, that was definitely one of the, one of the harder things for me. Did you, how long were you home? Did you go right to East Long Beach from Nicaragua or did you go home and for a period of time and then go to Long Beach? Um, well, we were in, the plan was to fly out. Uh, like I said, Saturday night, we went to the airport and the plan was to fly out on Sunday, but we were there. I didn't get out of the country until Wednesday. Um, and so I was in Salt Lake City for about 45 minutes uh, while my I changed planes from uh, one airport to the next on my way to Long Beach. Um, so I didn't really get to be home for very long, um, just sort of passed through. Um, That's crazy. And I, I went straight to straight to Long Beach. Did anybody else from Nicaragua come with you to Long Beach, or did you lose all that brotherhood? Was that any of that? Did any of that stay? Actually, it did. Um, there was one elder <clears throat> um, who was had been out one transfer longer than me, and uh, he got to Long Beach the day before I did. Um, and then I was I was actually able, even though I was delayed until Wednesday with some passport issues, I was able to fly out with um, someone I had been in the MTC with. And actually, we hadn't been companions, but we had been roommates. Uh, and so we were able to be reassigned to Nicaragua, or excuse me, to Long Beach together and fly out together. And then you, how long have you been home from your mission, Holden? I've been home about as long as Mac has been on his mission, so about eight months now. So you're and you're just home then. Yeah. So 
Welcome back, and thanks for your service, too. Corey, um, tell us about St. Petersburg. It's the only place of these three places I've actually been to. Vietnam's on my bucket list. Nicaragua isn't yet, but I I probably should. But tell us... It should be. (laughs) I thought you'd say that, Holden. Tell us about St. Petersburg, beautiful area, Corey, and just your story of what happened to you to cause your mission to end and then end up in Seattle. Yeah, my my circumstances were different than either, obviously, Max, but even Holden's. Um, and uh, I was, I had been, uh, served in St. Petersburg for, I guess it ended up being about the first 15 months of my mission, including the stay in the MTC. And, um, you know, when I got to Russia, um, anybody who's ever spent time there and certainly those who have uh, served a mission there know some of the unique challenges or at least what was different uh, there versus what I was accustomed to. And I think it was a combination of um, a really challenging time. This was, um, I got to St. Petersburg in May of 1993. um, And uh, it was a really difficult time uh, economically and certainly a, a really dynamic time politically um, culturally, socially for that country. And, um, you know, on one hand, it was just unbelievable to be there then, you know, when I, when I received my mission call, I couldn't even really believe that I was going to Russia. I knew, um, a couple of people, um, who had gone to my high school, um, that went there, but it just didn't even seem real. I, I had memories, believe it or not, of, uh, in grade school, sitting in our lunchroom, uh, talking to friends about, um, World War Three, and we, you know, the Russians were the were the enemy, and it just never seemed like a place that I would end up serving a mission. And um, you know, when I got there, it was Russia is a really, um, for me anyway, was really a place that was very um, polarized. On one hand, things that I loved so much, and people that I grew to love so much, and on the other hand, things that were so hard and so frustrating, and. Um, I don't know, probably my, my initial, original or first mission president, uh, Charles Creer, uh, Creel, rather, was the, the mission president when I got there. President Creel went home. He and his wife finished um, July 1st, so he was only there a couple of months. And then um, uh, my, my mission president that was there the rest of the time I was, uh, Thomas Rogers, um, was, and he and his wife were there. And I noticed pretty early in, a couple months in, that I just was not at all feeling myself. I, I was, uh, um, you know, my mood was was really depressed. I was um, struggling with concentration. I was just, I, I just knew I wasn't myself. And, you know, at that point in the game, I, I recognized I was going through a lot of change. Everybody who has served in mission knows how demanding mission life is. And it's an adjustment. Um, throw on top of it, learning uh, uh, a demanding language and making cultural adjustments. I, I really wrote it off to, this is just, you know, what you go through. And over the probably next, you know, 12 months, I, it really came in waves for me. Some days were better than others. And certainly as the uh, season wore on and we got into the winter season, we went from when I first got there, I, I, I didn't see darkness from middle of May when we got to, to Russia until probably early September because we went to bed well before the sun went down. It was, you know, white nights um, 
in the summer and and uh, it was really odd. It seemed like it had been one really long day, but um, by September um, it started to get darker, and then the, the the inverse happened. And by you know December, mid to late December, there were four hours of kind of dusk-like daylight, and uh, being dark and cold, you know that that uh, environment was really challenging too. And on top of it, you had um, people who were going through such you know, challenging times, like I said, uh, economically, um, you know, their, their personal financial situation was really difficult. And, um, you know, on one hand, it was a real, it was an amazing experience to be able to introduce people to the gospel that gave them hope and, and um, not only of the, in the life to come, but in this life. And when you think about the mindset of those uh, folks at that time, they had really, really bought into a, a system um, for really many of them their whole lives and invested themselves in that system that it would be better for their children. And when uh, the communist system broke down, uh, it was it was just completely turned their worlds upside down. And many of those people who had, had sacrificed and worked so hard for the good of the, you know, the community um, were just so disappointed because they didn't know, <clears throat> you know, what was left. And, and those that embrace the gospel, you know, that became uh, a, a real uh, version of maybe a counterfeit version that they had believed in. So it was, again, a fascinating time to be there, but I just kept having these experiences where I was just really struggling, and I didn't know what depression was. I knew what it was, was to be depressed, but not clinical depression. And um, I spoke to my mission president uh, every couple of months, as missionaries do, and, and President Rogers was um, unbelievable. I'm still one of the people that I, I love the most and I'm most indebted to in my life. And we talked a lot. Um, I was also connected with a, a counselor through um, LDS Family Services that I spoke to up by phone a couple of times and uh, gave me some uh, ideas about how I could deal with the emotional uh, challenges I was experiencing. And I tried those things. I journaled. I tried to exercise, including dragging uh, companions on runs in really, really cold, uh, dark weather. Um, and, you know, it'll work a little bit, but it just kept coming back and coming back uh, stronger until um, the following, like I said, I, I got to Russia in May of 93. And the following May, I was serving in a, a city. I was part of the probably second or third group of missionaries that had served in a small town outside of St. Petersburg called Pushkin. And um, you, as a missionary, you couldn't have drawn up a, a, a more amazing opportunity. It was, uh, the, the Tsar's Winter Palace was there. Um, it was, a, Pushkin was a really amazing place named after um, the great Russian writer, Alexander Pushkin. Um, it was a brand new, wasn't even a branch yet, a, a little group. And we'd had a couple people that had joined the church and you know, from a missionary standpoint, you couldn't have asked for something uh, more amazing. And I'll never forget the day uh, that I was sitting at my desk, journaling, trying to do some things to to get out of this funk that I was in. And um, my companion at the time was uh, was a native Ukrainian and a good guy, um, but didn't really understand what I was going through. But I remember vividly sitting at my desk that day and and, you know, praying and thinking and 
and I had just this overwhelming uh, experience or feeling that I needed to I needed to figure out what was happening. And I literally picked up the phone, called my mission president, told him. He said, "Get on a train, come to the you know to the mission home, which was back in in St. Petersburg." So we did. Um, my poor companion didn't really know what was going on, but um, anyway, I, I explained to him um, a little bit of what was happening and. We wrote in and I sat down with my mission president. The first thing he said was, hey, you know, you tell me, pick what you want to do in the mission. And that's what I loved about President Rogers. And I, he said, I said, you know, President Rogers, I couldn't pick a better place to be in terms of, of an area to serve in. And I, I do love my companion and it's all good that way. He said, well, how about just coming in and serving in the office for a little while so you can decompress? And, and uh, I said, you know, I again, I really appreciate that, but I just have this really strong feeling that I need to be, something else needs to happen. So he picked up the phone and called um, Elder uh, Max Caldwell, who was uh, in the area presidency at the time. And and he had had, his wife had had, uh, had challenges with um, uh, depression. And he said immediately that I, Russia is no place, um, you know, for this missionary to be treated. He goes, I really think we need to bring him home. And that was not at all what I was ex- expecting. Wow. And uh, yeah, he then within a few minutes, it was, it was kind of this out of body experience almost. Um, they There was a conference line and they had church travel on the phone and I could hear them booking a flight from wow. St. Peter's Hamburg and Hamburg to Atlanta and Atlanta to Salt Lake. And then my stake president um who was on the phone was on the phone and he was talking to me and said he'd let my mom know and and before I knew it the phone hung up and and you know my my life had really changed and um I sat there and um my mission president was so sad because he could read my face and um a good friend of mine a pre- previous companion came into the office that night and we we sat up and talked I I didn't sleep for I don't know probably 48 hours and I got on a flight and flew home and I'll never forget looking out my window uh, somewhere over uh, the Atlantic Ocean thinking, you know, this has all changed now. I, I'm, I'm not 24 months into this. And how am I ever going to, like, you know, be a be the kind of person that I want to be or, or, you know, do the things that I want to do as it relates to the gospel? And it was extremely, <clears throat> extremely challenging. I got home and um, I saw a psychiatrist who... Uh, prescribed um, an antidepressant for me. And then I saw a counselor, a therapist for about three weeks, um, two or three times a week, uh, who happened to also be a an early returned missionary. I can't I remember where she had served, but she was just awesome because she really understood me. And, and that was uh, extremely helpful. And um, I had made the commitment to myself and uh, to the Lord that if if I could just start to get a handle of understanding this, I would absolutely want to finish my mission. I knew I couldn't finish in uh, St. Petersburg because they uh, still don't uh, typically assign missionaries that have health issues outside of their country. And uh, before I knew it, I received my reassignment um, to the Washington Seattle mission. And at first I thought it was some kind of uh, bad joke um, given how uh, environmentally um, Seattle, you know, having so much rain and clouds and it wasn't the best place for someone suffering from depression. But, um, you know, I was fortunate that I had a uh, family that lived in that area if it ever came to that, my brother who I'm very close to. And, uh, you know, I just 
took it on faith. And I remember when I was picked up from the airport by the assistant, just feeling so overwhelmed. And I, I think about how some missionaries who will be reassigned in the States might feel, including uh, my son sitting here and how Holden may have felt. But I had to get to know a whole new mission. I had eight months left, and it was just, it was an overwhelming feeling. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to make conversation. And I knew a kid that I'd gone to school with, uh, Andrew Florence, who was a year younger than me. I knew his brother well, that was older than me. And I, I said to the, I knew he was serving in Seattle. He had gone out after I left for Russia. And I said to the assistants, I said, hey, do you, uh, to know, by chance, know Elder Florence? And the missionary that was sitting in the in the passenger seat turned around and looked at me funny, and he said, yeah, why? And I said, oh, went to junior high and high school with him, played baseball with him. And he, he smiled. He goes, that's crazy. He goes, that's your companion. And uh, of the 180-ish missionaries that were in that mission at the time, uh, I know for a fact it wasn't by chance that uh, that Andrew was assigned to be my companion. And he saw me for the, the person that I, I really am and not for the person I I felt like I was at the time and was, uh, anyway, it was an awesome experience. We had an incredible experience as, as uh, companions and, and Seattle was nothing but eight months of amazing, rewarding experience for me. And I, I just can't imagine my, uh, my life without a, that experience. And, you know, for me, I felt like I got the best of all worlds and that was to, to serve in a foreign mission, to learn a language and a culture and experience something very different. And then to, to be able to serve in a, a stateside mission where the church was more uh, similar to what I was accustomed to and, and what I've experienced since as an adult. So there's really great training uh, for me there too. Thank you, Corey. And I love that story of your first companion. I'm thinking of your plane ride over the Atlantic from, I think, Hamburg to Atlanta and um, your mind working on you thinking, am I going to, is someone ever going to marry me? Am I going to ever have the chance to serve in our church? Will I have a permanent black mark on me or whatever the right word is there? And you've been a bishop and your father and wonderful marriage, six kids and great career. And what, what, um, what Christ-like attributes do you feel have come into your life because of that difficult experience of leaving St. Petersburg, working on your emotional health? What, how has it made you a better person and how has it helped you in as a bishop and a father to help others? No question for me, the, the two experiences in my life that I learned empathy um, and hopefully open-mindedness um, toward others was through that experience, through suffering uh, from depression, which I've had even since returning from my mission, I've, I've uh, dealt with and um, honest. And I think the other thing for me, my, my parents were divorced when I was five, uh, six years old, around that age. Those two things, which actually my, my returning from my mission and my parents' divorce made me initially feel like I was an outsider, like, like I, you know, this wasn't part of the plan um, in a gospel, um, from a gospel perspective. Those two things actually helped me the most, particularly as a father and uh, as a bishop, relate to other people. and. Um, so if anything, I, I fully believe that when we go through trials, challenges, hardships, um, that it is our, our opportunity to uh, experience the, the same, not the same always, but um, challenge or, or, or difficulty so we can relate to other people. And 
I mean, ultimately, in some small little way, maybe that helps me better understand how Christ understands me and you and each of us, because he, through the atonement, experienced those things. And he, that's how he knows, as the Book of Mormon teaches us, how to, how to succor his people. And in, in some small way, um, I think that's what, what that experience did for me, was, was help me to be more empathetic to others. That's a great answer. Any other thoughts that come to your mind of that? Um, yeah, I, I, you, you touched on this, and that is um, when I was, I, I think about that time looking out the window, and I, it's funny you said that because I did. I thought, oh, man, you know, this is all going to be different for me now, and how, how am I going to, you know, find my, my spot in our our society at home. And I was blessed um, to meet uh, my wife, Haley. And I'll never forget when I kind of mustered up the courage when we first began dating to tell her about um, my my challenges with depression. And, you know, I think we've gotten a lot better within the church and in our yeah. society and talk about mental health. I think we still have a long ways to go. But at that time, you know, no one really talked about it that I knew of. And I'll never forget when I told her, and I knew it might be the, the you know, the deal that, or the, the straw that broke the camel's back, but Haley was nothing but um, compassionate and understanding and, and uh, just a great friend to me through through that and always has been. So, you know, I, I would say to anybody, for whatever reason, that your path hasn't gone as uh, the textbook would tell you it needs to, <clears throat> to have faith, um, to know that our Heavenly Father sees you and sees us for who we are, and um, that uh, the atonement and repentance isn't just about overcoming sin, but it's also about overcoming hardship. And and this idea that it is a fresh view uh, on our lives is real. And um, so to, to never give up hope or, or faith and, and always know that the God and, and our Heavenly Father and the Savior are mindful of us and, and how, how we're feeling and how to help us. Great answers. Um, Holden and Elder Wolfenbarger, I'm still calling you Elder Wolfenbarger. Um, did you, were you aware that your dad came home from his mission because of his emotional health growing up? And was that something that was talked about ever or just occasionally? And um, what's it like to have a dad that has, that has that as part of his life story? Any thoughts from either of you on that? Yeah, I think I've always, I mean, as long as I can remember, I've known Kind of that story. And this is probably inner tell tell our listeners who you are, just so they know. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this is this is Mac Elder Wolfenbarger. Okay. Um, I think as long as I can remember, I've known that story. Probably not the full story when I was a lot younger, but I don't know. I think I've always kind of known known what happened. And to be honest, like growing up, like I knew the story and everything, but it like it didn't really affect me. I didn't really notice it um i don't know i know that it's been something just like for everyone that struggles with anything any type of mental health issues it's like a lifelong process something you have to deal with for your whole lifetime but growing up and yeah growing up i really never noticed it he was he was always just like my dad you know someone i really look up to and so so yeah i knew the story but i i never really noticed noticed uh, any effect it had on our relationship or his role as a father or a husband. 
That's great. Holden, any thoughts from you on that? Yeah, I would echo uh, what Elder Wolfenbarger had to say. Um, I've always known, I mean, I've always, you know, my dad loves to tell stories and um, he has plenty of, of great stories from Russia and plenty of great stories from Seattle. Um, and I think one of my biggest questions to him always was, uh, Dad, which mission was your favorite? Um, and he would always say that, that you couldn't say that, that they were both um, unique and, and he loved both of them equally. And I never really bought that. Um, <laughs> now, of course, being in a, in a similar situation, I completely understand that um, it's, it's incomparable and um, really it's all the same work. Um, just in different circumstances, and um, and I'm I'm glad that I got to um, that I had somebody there to kind of guide me through as I transitioned from uh, Nicaragua to California, and um, for, through many um, what really really deep emails uh, that my dad sent, and some really um, testimony building. Um, encouragement that he gave me and, and through phone calls that we uh, were able to have, um, that really helped me a lot. Uh, yeah. Great answers. Great tributes to your dad. And who would have thought I'm back on the plane with you, Corey, looking out the window on that flight to Atlanta, who would have thought that you would be having conversations with your two oldest sons who would be having, would be serving in two different missions. And that because you walk that road and there are different reasons, but you would understand what it's like to serve in two missions and transition to that second mission with all three of you. It's not like you, either of you were in your first mission for a day or two or a month. You were all fully, you know, transitioned into your experience and have those all change. Um, you know, it's like God has, my oldest son, Adam says, it's like God has a plan. And I love Elder Uchtdorf's impressionistic painting talk where, you know, you get further in life and all these dots that are hard to sometimes put together during the moment um, do sort of come together into a beautiful story um, that makes more sense. Why at the moment, often it's really difficult to make sense of why something happened. Um, what advice, this is you giving advice to, you know, Elder Wolfenberger, but Holden and Corey, just what would you say to um, people in um, Mac's situation that are, have just come home and are, and are probably being reassigned to another mission? What advice? Let's go first, Holden, and then Corey. Well, I definitely think um, that there's, kind of two parts to the transition um first is the the coming home but um not knowing where you're going to go um and, and i didn't experience that for two weeks but i did experience that for um a certain amount of time and um i think in that instance um and i'm sure mac has <clears throat> lots of advice as well but i think the best thing to do is just to stick to what you already have and um, you know, stick to the schedule you have, um, and, and, you know, um, any missionaries who are just starting out, um, they're going to have to maybe do more to figure it out. But to anybody who's, uh, like you said, already in it, um, the challenge is just to figure out ways to stay in it. Um, and then once, 
um, you are reassigned. Um, I'll admit I was, um, I really, I deeply loved my mission in Nicaragua and um, we were able to experience a really high volume of work and have a lot of people enthusiastic to accept the gospel there. And um, I think I kind of uh, maybe definitely foolishly um, got a little bit prideful and thought maybe I was, um, you know, better than a stateside missionary who had to work really hard for uh, what appeared to be really little success. Um, and so transitioning to a new mission with a different speed and a different culture um, was a challenge. And at first I found myself uh, a little bit reluctant to kind of go all in and um, kind of give my all to this new mission president and this new uh, mission field. Um, and on top of that, I, I thought that it might just be an, uh, a temporary thing that Maybe it was just going to be four months or six months in California. I could go back to my real mission in Nicaragua. Um, and and as I, I remember being in the mission office and talking to one of the senior missionaries about how long I would stay there and if I would need to buy uh, winter clothes and, and things like that, uh, my mission president walked by and, and very casually, uh, not even just to me, but to everybody that was listening, um, he, he mentioned um, what Ammon said uh, in Alma 17, uh, verse 23, that says, And Alma said unto him, Yea, I desire to dwell among this people for a time, yea, and perhaps until the day I die. Um, and, and that verse really sunk in for me and turned out to be very, um, very apt because I, I did finish my mission in California and was very glad to do so. Um, and so I think we just need to keep in mind uh, that that wherever the Lord takes us, whatever his plan is, uh, to really go all in and to, um, and to make the best of, um, and to thrive in the circumstances you're placed in. Great answer. Love that scripture. Hold, uh, Corey, th- your thoughts. Yeah, I remember uh, when Holden, when I found out he was coming home, I reflected back on that uh, experience I had on the airplane. And um, I actually wrote down my thoughts in a letter then. Um, and I wanted to make sure that Holden and then Mac, when I, when I found out about uh, his situation, that they both had some maybe perspective. And part of what I shared with both of them was what... Uh, Elder Bednar said in his talk when he talked about the difference of being called uh, to serve as a missionary and, and the difference between assignment and, you know, when these things happen. And I loved when he, he says a missionary is not called to a place, rather he or she is called to serve. As the Lord declared through the prophet Joseph Smith in 1829, if you have desires to serve God, you are called to the work. And um, since the time I, I wrote that letter to Holden, I, I read another great quote um, that relates to joy. I think joy is something that missionaries hopefully feel um, maybe to a greater degree than they do almost at any other point in their lives. But in a book that I um, read called uh, Tap Code, which is the story of of an Air Force fighter pilot that was a prisoner of war during the Vietnam War, um, quoting his wife, she says that she says, happiness is dependent on our circumstances, whereas joy is another thing entirely. 
Joy involves looking at the whole situation and seeing the benefits for others as well as ourselves. Joy is not dependent on our circumstances and is not removed through our situations. Joy is a gift and joy is a choice. So I think that uh, it's easier said than done oftentimes, but when we, when we face adversity in our lives, if we can step back and recognize that this ability to choose is one of the greatest gifts God's given to us and that as we do our best to do that, he will undoubtedly um, consecrate that and, and, and help us as we strive to, to choose to be um, happier, to choose joy. Uh, that he'll help us to feel that. I, I know that to be true from my own experiences, for sure. Love that. Um, we were talking about this at our home, and um, somebody brought up Zion's camp as a parallel, perhaps, to what missionaries are feeling, and I think our listeners know the general story of Zion's camp. I'm not a church scholar, but there was a mission established and um, members of the church um, as part of Zion's camp with some clear goals, and eventually none of those goals uh, materialized, and Zion's camp was disbanded without accomplishing its original goals, and that was some people left the church uh, over that, but others... Um, that experience was foundational for them in their future service within the church. And so perhaps the goal of Zion's camp at the time was different um, to prepare those people of Zion's camp to be able to have the skills and leadership and experience and difficulty to be able to accomplish some of the later things they were able to accomplish. Why at the time the original goals of Zion's camp were very um, needed. And so I think if I go back to Elder Holden, I mean, Elder Wolfenbarger in Vietnam, and when you talk about what you're doing there, instructing the local leaders how to do sac home sacrament, it's hard for me to imagine anything more important than that. That's a saving ordinance of the gospel. It's a basic thing. And just recognizing that the church will not run as effectively with all these missionaries not there. And that part of your heart wondering, well, why would the Lord do that? I can't imagine that the the missionary program in Vietnam is going to be better off in the short term with all these missionaries going. I don't know. If, any thoughts on that, um, Elder Wolfenbarger, just how you reconcile that or what principles just sort of give you peace to know somehow in God's plan, I'm going to be okay and Vietnam's going to be okay? Yeah, it's a really good question. Leading up to the day, to the, like the few days leading up to when we all went home, um, my companion and I talked to a lot of the mission, a lot of the different missionaries, just like over phone call. And one of the like prevailing sentiments we heard was like, is all of this work that we've done for nothing? Yeah. One of the, like the big struggles, not struggles, but I guess challenges or struggles in our mission was just like getting, um, proficient at the language just Vietnamese is a hard language and it and that was something that was like a really big really big deal in our mission is trying to work on our Vietnamese and so whether it was like wow I just spent all this time learning Vietnamese what was the point of that or I have these people I'm teaching and it's going to be really hard for them to continue to learn after I'm gone or all these things that just made us feel like wow like what was the point of that what was the like was that even worth it and we had this we had this mission Zoom call our last night before we went home. And as I was thinking about something I could share, I 
I was reading in, in 3 Nephi 24, and verse 10 is this classic scripture about uh, bringing, bringing your tithes to the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And proving now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I love that scripture, and I really saw that in my time in Vietnam, when I really tried to bring what I had into the Lord's house so that there could maybe be a little bit more meat there. I really felt those blessings. I felt that promise that Preach My Gospel talks about. It says in the first presidency message, uh, more happiness awaits you than you have ever experienced as you labor among his children. And I saw that, especially when I was being really effective and working hard. But along with that, the very next verse in that chapter, verse 11, and 12, they say, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall have a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So I found a lot of comfort in reading that. Just that promise that God will protect the work that we've done, and God will, will be called blessed because of these things. I also love just to kind of complete this thought that I had in Jacob 5, uh, this allegory of the, the olive tree, over and over again, the Lord of the vineyard talks about laying up fruit against the season. I really like the way it uses fruit in 3 Nephi 24, 11 also. It talks about um, the devourer shall not destroy the fruits of our ground. So I don't know what that, I think that devourer can mean a lot of things. I think it's anything that's just against against the work of God. And so anything that seems like it's going to destroy this work that we've put in, we're promised that that's not true, that the Lord will lay up lay up our fruit, his fruit against the season. I found a lot of comfort in that. The other thing I found a lot of comfort in is I kind of had, I had like a airplane window experience too. Um, <laughs> when I was, when I was leaving the MTC, we were flying to, and we were flying to Vietnam. I think we left out of, out of LAX, and we were flying to uh, Japan. And I opened up that little, like, flight path visualizer you can see on on these airplanes. And there was this yellow line all the way across the Pacific Ocean. And it was just, like, a really, really long line. And I was just, I was kind of scared. I usually don't get really, really scared about a lot of things, but I was a little bit scared. And like enough that I leaned over to someone in my group and was like, man, this is kind of scary. Like, that's a pretty long line. And he said something like, no, like, dude, this is going to be so awesome. I'm like, okay, thanks, man. And, and so I had that experience and I wrote something down about being scared, but just feeling like I needed to give it my all and do everything I could just to love my time in Vietnam. And I kind of forgot about that until when I was leaving Taipei, we flew through Taipei um, and we were on our way to LAX. I opened that same uh, flight path and there was that really long yellow line. But instead of being, and I was on the opposite side of it this time. And I was just, I felt so different. I felt like I was leaving this place that I loved and these people that I loved. And I went back and read the thing that I read, that I wrote about just needing to love love Vietnam, love the people, love the food, love the culture, love the language. And it gave me a lot of comfort to really feel like I did, that I had this this new home that missionaries always talk about. And that's given me a lot of comfort and a lot of separation anxiety too, I guess, of just missing this place that had become my home, become my spot. 
And so, but I really do believe this promise in chapter 24 that, and in Jacob 5, that the Lord will lay up his fruit against the season. And we don't really know exactly what that's going to look like or what our role is in it all the time. But I really do take comfort in knowing that the Lord doesn't let this work get destroyed. And he really cares a lot about it. I can feel the mantle of your current missionary assignment. We've never had a set-apart missionary on the podcast before, but I'm really touched, and I think our listeners are too. You said something I wrote down word for word. God will protect the work we have done. What a thoughtful, insightful statement. Even though you're leading up to that, asking pretty honest questions, what was the point of that? That's a pretty honest question of learning the language, of getting, you know, feeling like things are maybe taking a step backwards. But um, I love you went to the doctrine and went to the source of truth to answer those questions and the peace that that gives you and the, the beauty of our scriptures. I think we read our scriptures and we see things at different times in our lives um, that we might pass over, have different meanings. So I love the way you turned to Jacob 5 and read some in, some insights there that perhaps wouldn't have applied as much. And I love the line on the screen. <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners yeah. are aware of those long lines as we've been on longer flights. Um, and I would guess, just like your dad, um, if we could have you on the podcast in 20, 25 years, Mac, you will be able to tell more of of the story of why you learned Vietnamese and how that there is probably more reasons than you learn Vietnamese than the eight months or so you serve there. Uh, maybe it'll help you learn a le- another language. Maybe it'll, it'll just be parts of the story that you'll share of why you learned that language that you're, and maybe you'll be transferred to a stateside mission where you can speak Vietnamese or you'll meet somebody. Um, but I would guess it's part of this plan. And so really wonderful insights. Is in, do either of, we're coming to kind of the hour mark. I think we'll go for another 10 minutes. Do either of you want to add anything to what Elder Wolfenberg just said? Um, I wanted to add just one uh, little piece of advice that my mission president, Brian Patterson, uh, shared with me in California. Uh, in one of my first interviews, um, I'd been maybe a month in California and was very, uh, really wanted to throw myself into the work. And, um, and it was, it was a challenging time. Uh, and, and I said to him, I, I said, president, I think I get it. I think I'm becoming uh, a California missionary and I'm adapting to the California missionary culture. Um, and I had two companions. I was in a trio because they didn't really have space for me. Uh, and both of my companions at in multiple occasions, we're very adamant that, um, you know, we don't do things the way you're used to doing them here. And, um, you know, you're basically, our way is right. And we're here to, um, you know, teach you how to be a California missionary. Wow. Um, and I know, I know they meant well. Um, and I know that maybe I was, uh, you know, even with some perspective, maybe I was a little bit, uh, too brash, uh, for some people. Uh, but, uh, he told me, my mission president, he stopped me, and uh, he said, no, it's not about being a California missionary. Uh, I want you to be a, a preach my gospel missionary, and that's where you can learn how to be a missionary and uh, how to invite people to act and how to study and how to plan. And so I think it's really amazing that 
Um, every missionary in the world gets the same manual and, and goes off the same um, basic tenets and principles. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot to be gained by following the advice of the brethren and, and what Preach My Gospel has to say. That's great. I love that because there is these cultures and these tribes that develop, and and I I love that. That's really thoughtful. Uh, Mac, any? I mean, sorry, Corey. Any things you want to add? Um, <clears throat> I guess the only thing I'd add is I remember uh, during the time I served as a bishop, um, one of the most rewarding things was helping um, young men and young women prepare for their mission, and and uh, specifically once they had made that that commitment um, to help them not only get their paperwork in order, but more importantly, to, to do what they could to prepare spiritually um, before beginning their mission. And um, I referenced uh, Doctrine and Covenant Section 4 from Elder Bednar's talk, but you know that, that idea that if we have desires to serve, we're called is, I think, so powerful, and it's so unique to the gospel. And Virtually every other aspect of our lives, we have to be qualified through experience, um, whether it be school or work or, you know, um, to some degree, even, you know, our, our family responsibilities. But, you know, as it relates to, to service in the church and in God's kingdom, it's really about our desire. And uh, that's why new converts to the church can um, begin to serve or be ordained to the priesthood or in relatively short order, uh, become full-time missionaries. So look, I, I would say that all those out there who might be in, uh, in Mac's situation saying, where am I going to go? Am I going to go? When am I going to go? Just remember, if you have desires to call to serve, you're called and, uh, look for opportunities to do that in your home. Now look for uh, opportunities to do that in your ward. Um, now uh, among your larger circle of friends, because um, that that gift of being set apart uh, as a missionary will come to an end at some point. And um, as much as you may, all of us at different periods of our of our mission may have looked forward to that day. It's also a really sad day in a lot of ways, and one that you don't ever quite you know get back uh, the same way. So um, just remember. You know, there, there there is a plan. I'm I'm uh, always one who sees things perfectly uh, in hindsight, like like all of us. And um, I'm also somebody who tries to see the path moving forward, but rarely uh, does my vision match what happens or, or you know my hindsight. And I think um, if I can, I, I really try to work on having the same level of peace as I look forward, not knowing what will happen as I do looking back and seeing God's hand in my life. And that's, that's challenging, but I know uh, if we lean on him and, and lean on the spirit, we can, we can have that experience. Love that. Um, Elder Wolfenberger, what's the, I don't know if this is, you've been home six days and you may have had a lot of people say a lot of things to you. Is there one is there one thing that sort of sticks out as something that was the most helpful somebody said to you? And is there something that sticks out as something that was the least helpful? Does anything come to mind on either of those? And that's just helping yeah, people I, like me to know the right thing to say. Good question. I talked to my mission president for a while. Um, I think last Wednesday, we talked a little bit about, 
about the story of Nephi and you talked about how you've read these stories of Nephi leaving Jerusalem and going back a couple times and breaking his bow and building a ship and doing all these things. And, and you said, this is actually now you have an opportunity to, to live those, live those stories and to kind of test yourself. Um, in second, in first Nephi 17, it's hot. There's this, this promise from the Lord that I really love and I've reflected on quite a bit. Um, verse thir- seven, uh, first Nephi 17, 13 says, and I will also be your light in the wilderness and I will prepare the way before you. If it so be that you shall keep my commandments. Wherefore, inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall be led toward the promised land, and ye shall know that it is by me that ye are led. Yea, and the Lord said also that after ye have arrived in the promised land, ye shall know that I, the Lord, am God, and that I, the Lord, did deliver you from destruction. Yea, that I did bring you out of the land of Jerusalem. So I talked to my mission president a little bit about that, what that means, and I've reflected on that a little bit. And there have been times when I've thought to myself, like, yeah, I will go wherever wherever I'm called to go, I'll do whatever the brethren ask me to do. But I think a lot of times as I've thought that this week, I've had really like the same attitude that Laman and Lemuel did. They did all these things that Nephi did. They went everywhere that Nephi did, but their attitude was a lot different. And because of that, their outcome was a lot different. And I don't know, it's been an interesting opportunity to really understand a little bit more about who Nephi was and who I need to be. And so that thought and those things that my mission president have shared has have shared with me are something that kind of like pricks me in the back of my mind pretty often now, especially when I just feel like, you know, what's the point of this? Why don't I just like kind of throw in the towel? So that's been really helpful for me is that perspective. That's great. And then go ahead. I guess on the other hand, things that have been not helpful, I think, I don't know, and I think this comes, this is like a natural thing, and this is something that we all do. I remember, I guess obviously I remember, but like a week ago when we were leaving, there were missionaries who would say like, oh, don't worry, we'll be back really soon. Like, we'll be back before you know it. And since I've been home, there's like, a lot of people have said like, oh, don't worry, like you'll get reassigned before you know it, and it's going to be great. And that just hasn't sit really sat really well with me because, I just don't think we really know that. And I think there's a a line between hope, which we all need to have, and just saying things that sound, that saying things that we think other people want to hear. And so I think we need to be faithful and hopeful and look toward the future, but also, also accept these things, these trials that the Lord has given us and look for ways that we can really prosper when our bows break or when we're asked to build this ship, instead of just saying, oh, don't worry, everything's just going to work out exactly how you're hoping it will, because that's not always the case. That's a great, those are both great. Anybody, any of the other two of you have any comments on that question I asked Elder Wolfenberger? Um, I just, I'll clo- um, I want to give everyone a chance to say a closing thought. I do like the parable of the worker in the vineyard. And it's basically this idea that um, every worker in the vineyard has the same intent to perform the same amount of work, 
but they, some are, you know, asked to work in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening, and they all receive the same reward. And I know Elder Wolfenbarger didn't go on his mission to receive a reward, but I do like the doctrine that our efforts in this side of the Lord I mean, that parable teaches are all equal. And so some that aren't able to serve missions for, but their intent is they'd love to um, receive the same reward and are looked upon by the Lord in the same way of someone that um, served a full-time, full-length mission, whatever that's defined as. And I think there's peace in that. um, And the Lord just recognizes our hearts and our best efforts and doesn't grade us against everybody else, but grades us with our individual situation and doing the best we can. Any, I'll start um, with Holden and then Elder Wolfenbarger and then Corey. Just any closing thoughts? Let's, Holden, you're first. Uh, Yeah, you know, two, uh, well, I guess um, I have kind of three friends that are kind of my best friends that uh, I've been really close with since, um, you know, we were in, in, you know, second grade, basically, and um, we spent, you know, we, we grew up together, the four of us, and um, of those four, um, one um, didn't go on a mission. Uh, one went on a mission uh, to Hong Kong and came home after, um, I believe, about eight months with some mental health issues and uh, didn't go back out. Uh, another was in, uh, Brazil for about a year, uh, and had some, had a knee injury and came home and that was the end of his mission. And, um, I was served in two mission fields. And so, um, none of us had a, what you might call a, you know, a traditional, uh, mission experience. And it wasn't what any of us certainly expected when we were set apart. Um, but, but despite that, um, Whenever I talk about um, missionary service with um, with my two friends who served, um, of course there's there's a little bit of um, I mean the fact that they that they came home uh, earlier than they planned on is is still there of course and, and I think like you touched on and my dad touched on that's um, still a really big um, really big factor a big um, kind of um, thing in, in the church. Uh, you know, everybody wants to serve a, a full-time mission. Um, I dated a girl at one point who said she wanted to marry someone who served all of their full-time mission. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, whenever I talk with, but whenever I talk with my friends, uh, we, we, all, we all talk about the good times. Uh, you know, we talk about the amazing experiences we had in, in the time that we were able to serve. And so I think, uh, I guess, to consolidate my thoughts, um, when talking with missionaries who uh, came home early because of this COVID-19 outbreak or any other reason, um, everybody has amazing and life-changing experiences on their mission. Um, and so I think to focus on those um, is is healthy and positive and and a good way to go about things and not necessarily um, dwell on the, on the painful circumstances. Love that. Elder Wolfenbarger. Yeah, I've spent, I've spent a lot of time this last week talking with my dad and my brother and friends and, 
And even before this week, when I was still in Vietnam, just talking to other missionaries about their mission and what things are like. And I saw, I've seen a ton of differences in our experience as missionaries in our original assignment and also our feelings coming home. But I've also seen a ton of, a, a ton of similarities. I've seen a lot of power and comfort and unity and understanding that in a larger sense, we're all really feeling the same thing. We all understand what each other, what, what we're feeling and, and how that affects us. I really love when Alma the Younger is teaching his son Helaman uh, in the book of Alma. He talks about how the God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob will comfort him and will help him in his afflictions. And I think that's a really comforting thought, that this God this God that helped Moses part the Red Sea and commanded um, Abraham not to sacrifice Isaac and, and all these things, this God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob who performed all these miracles is the same God who's directing the work today. We're all really united and we're all doing the same thing and we're all feeling the same things. And so if we're all just willing to, to be honest about how we feel and, and try to help each other, I think there's a lot of power there and, I felt a lot of comfort in that. Love that. Um, Corey, your final thought. I think kind of to relate to what Holden said too. Um, when I, when I came home, um, it wasn't very often. Or I didn't know very many people that came home early from their missions. And the only ones that I did were typically, um, if they had some sort of physical health issue, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's become so much more common. I, I only can imagine that missionary service has its own set of challenges today that, you know, that those of us who served 25 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever don't really understand. I'm, I'm grateful that this generation of missionaries and their families will go through this together because I hope one of the outcomes is that it will, uh, to some degree, change culturally what I feel like has been um, misaligned with the gospel for a long time. And that is that there's some sort of badge of honor for completion of 18 or 24 months, no matter how you completed them. Um, all of us who served missions, new missionaries that were really suffering with a lot of things on their mission, including some who just flat out didn't want to be there. And to me, um, the fact that there was the, you know, the badge of honor of, Hey, you completed your mission. Um, I don't know. I, I just think culturally it's something that while well-intended, we as members of the church need to step back from and say, it's not about a certain number of months or um, anything else. It's about our, our efforts and, and doing our best and just being there to, to support each other and recognizing that we all have different paths uh, in our lives. And although there is, uh, as the scriptures teach us, as the Savior taught, there is one path. There are a lot of lanes on that path, and there are a lot of different ways to that path. And um, again, I hope one of the positive outcomes of this current experience we're going through is is to peel away the things that are part of our culture and uh, expose the things that really are, you know, fundamental principles of the gospel and focus on those. That's great. Well, um, we'll sign off. Um, if any of our listeners want to listen to other early release missionary podcasts, you can. There's, you know. 240 or 50 in this series and the early if you just wanted to get to the podcast focus on this subject and every story is a little different you could go to our website listen learn and love.org 
And then across the top, there's a tab, um, a toolbar, and one says podcasts. And then there's a landing page for the about six or seven um, early release missionary podcasts that um, are in this series that are helpful for our listeners. But thank you, Elder Wolfenbarger. Um, I'm serving in Vietnam and home now for a temporary time. Holden, thank you for your missionary service. And Dad, Corey, um, great podcast and just a wonderful insights into the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to faithfully navigate curveballs. Um, and this podcast will help a lot of people. Thank you, our listeners. This is Richard Osler, your host, signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.